0: You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com.
1: You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled-up aces over kings. Ladies and gentlemen,
0: boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different.
2: With author and professional poker player, Ashley Adams. Okay, we have some skin.
3: Hello, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. We've got a really good show today or tonight, depending on when you're listening. We've got the CEO and founder of a really interesting free online poker site for teams of poker players or folks that want to join teams. But it's legal, easily accessed, fun poker. It's called Hogwild Poker or Hogwild Poker Leagues. It goes by both names. And we're going to have Jeff Amrine on to talk about it. And then we got a guy that is really up my alley. I had a lot of fun talking to him. This is a an historian, a New Jersey historian, Nelson Johnson, who has written the history of Atlantic City before the re- the rebirth of gambling. The guy, he wrote about... The history of Atlantic City from the turn of the century up till about the 60s, when Atlantic City was a wide open town, something I didn't know anything about. He's going to talk about that, talk about his book, and his book, Boardwalk Empire, has been made into an HBO series. A very interesting guy, a very interesting interview. We'll also have a mailbag segment, so stay tuned.
0: Great moments in history. In July 1937, Amelia Earhart was informed by her navigator, Fred Noonan, that they were off course over the Pacific Ocean.
4: You're lost. You just sit here telling me that I'm not intended. Can I hold the No. Up? Now, can I hold the No. Up?
0: That is so not cool. In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to houseofcardsradio.com and click on the podcast button for all recent show downloads.
4: And free shipping. Just use offer code B-A-B-E-16 at adamandeve.com.
0: You're listening to House of Cards
4: on the House of Cards
0: radio network. Check us out at houseofcardsradio.com.
4: 5 presents a house
2: of cards But are we
3: cool?
1: Not really.
3: Welcome back listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards and I am joined by somebody I am eager to talk to you because his site is and his business is so intriguing. I'm here on the air with Jeff Amrine. Jeff, are you there?
2: I am here. Thank you for having me on.
3: You're absolutely welcome. This is a service to our listeners to find out about your company, which is Hog Wild Poker Leagues. Now it's interesting, Jeff, I've gotten some emails about tournaments on Hog Wild Poker, and I really did I didn't visit it, I've been very busy. But I'm hoping you can tell us as much as there is to know about Hogwild Poker.
2: Oh, I'd be happy to. Great. Well, you, you want me to just begin?
3: Please, just begin.
2: Yeah. All right. Hogwild Poker is um, was, was formed out of an idea when I had a poker league. So uh, I'm a longtime developer, um, and we at our local poker league wanted to find some software that would allow us to run our own poker site, basically, for ourselves, a small poker league. We didn't want to run on somebody else's site.
3: When you say uh, your own words, poker league, you mean you wanted to find a way you could continue to play online with po- folks from your group. Is that what you mean?
2: That's correct. Okay. We had a lot of guys that traveled on and off and uh, from work, and we said sometimes we want to play live and sometimes we want to play online. And, and I looked for a piece of software and just couldn't find one. I found, you know, the traditional sites that, that may let you create a league, but really under their control, um, under their rules. And I said, this is crazy. There, there should be a site out here where anybody can go in minutes, create their own poker league, uh, completely schedule it, uh, invite who they want, uh, c- control the blinds, the, you know, how fast the, the action moves run a game as long as they want, how they want, uh, uh, create point systems, create play money systems. And I just couldn't find that. And I said, you know, there's so many um, poker leagues out there where someone wants to do this. The other thing I couldn't find was a site that would let me run both a clock and an online game building points to one leaderboard. And and so we built it. Uh, It took us uh, a couple years to build. Uh, We got people together and some investors, and we built a site where you literally can go, first time you log on, hit hit a blue button on the screen that says tournaments and leagues, and right in the middle of the screen it'll say create your own league. But if you don't want to create your own league, you'll see that there are hundreds of leagues running that are public. There are many private leagues that you can't see, so you can make your league public or private. And uh first and foremost we run leagues for people. Uh, the league is yours. Uh your complete control. In other words, if you have somebody on your site that you don't like, kick them off. <laughs> if you have okay. somebody in your site using foul language, kick them off. And you know, it, it, the people who bounce from league to league can choose to stay or not stay. So so we we built the site. And and you know what's really become fun? is we realized with so many poker sites that uh, we could have some competitions. And so we started with one we called the Top Hog. And this is where our site really took off. What we decided to do was on a monthly basis go to every league uh, and find their top five players. So we keep a little point system in the background. You can keep your own points, but we keep one in addition that we reset every month. And if you play well during the month, you'll see yourself go to the top of our scoreboard, and if you're in the top five of your league, you get an invitation automatically from the system uh, for a $500 free roll. So imagine uh, hundreds of leagues, all their top five, go into a free roll, and everybody plays one free roll. We take your points from that free roll, add them together with the other four people on your team, and that is your team score. And what we end up with is... The base, basically the top uh, 25 to 50 leagues are posted every month as best leagues of Hogwild Poker, and they win money. So it's a great deal.
3: All right, let let me just break this down. This sa- so, just to summarize, you are mm-hmm. a site, an internet site where people can have their own leagues with their own rules, selecting their own players or opening it up to any players they want. They can set their own blind structures for poker games, their own frequency, presumably, of games. And you function as like a bowling alley. You got the pins, but people can come in with their own players and play and set up their own rules, their own scoring system and everything else. But then in addition to that, you also have the added bonus, since you have so many leagues playing on your site, you have the ability to have competitions between and among leagues, and award cash prizes, uh, free rolls, etc., to the best players from all the leagues.
2: That's exactly right. All right,
3: That's so exactly right. then I okay. Couple of things: What is the cost to me as the player? How do you make your money? And uh, do you offer any cash games like there used to be on the internet?
2: Well, I wish we. Uh, could offer cash games, uh, you know, it, it's a legal issue in the United States. Uh, but we do have free rolls, if that's what you mean. Um, so, so what we did was first we wanted to also create a site that uh, was free. Uh, we wanted our players to voluntarily pay us, uh, so we created something called Hog Bucks. And Hog Bucks are not mandatory. They're not mandatory for your league. But we use Hog Bucks to side bet to make things interesting. Uh, We also use uh, Hog Bucks to play at uh, open tables, so ring games, which are outside of your league, so that you can go play and practice at the ring games and use Hog Bucks there. If you keep winning Hog Bucks from everybody else, you never have to buy anything. But, of course, if you lose your Hog Bucks, we thank you very much to buy more Hog Bucks and keep playing. And that's how we support ourselves. Uh, In all of our competitions, uh, there's usually a way to get an edge up by spending some hog bucks, but you don't have to.
3: I'm going to ask you to hold on, and to our listeners, we'll be back in just about half a minute, maybe a minute. Listeners, stay tuned. We'll be right back.
0: The House of Cards Hotline, available 24 hours a day. Call the hotline or send us an email at info at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. And don't forget to visit our website at HouseOfCardsRadio.com and follow the show on Twitter and Facebook. By leaving a message with House of Cards, you can send to having your message played on the air.
4: Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? What's the big deal at Seneca Gaming and Entertainment? Live action poker. Endless chances to win. Guaranteed
3: prize pools.
4: Tournaments, daily events. A bad beat jackpot.
3: Omaha stud and everyone's favorite Texas hold And
4: thousands of dollars in guaranteed tournament action. Now
3: that's a big deal.
4: Exciting Vegas-style poker. Just off
3: exit 20 on I-86 in Salamanca, New York, across from McDonald's.
4: Online at senecapoker.com. Seneca Gaming and Entertainment. Your new destination for a better game.
0: This This is is the House of Cards. This is your poker
1: education. Let's play some cards.
3: Welcome back, listeners. We're still here with Jeff Emrine. So when you say a way of getting, so for example, if I were playing in a tournament and the buy-in, the number of chips that I start with were 3,000. If I had yeah. some hog bucks, I could get $5,000 worth of chips, or do I have that wrong? Um,
2: no, no, that's a little wrong, because at that point, we would be influencing your league and your game, and we don't really mess with the leagues. Let me give you another example. Okay. Um, in addition to the leagues, since we were doing so well and growing so fast, we decided that we would try to find the top 15 people each month on our whole site. So we created a bunch of free rolls, and we said, well, let's kind of create a free roll league that anybody can join in addition to their own league, and you can play in $200 free rolls that we have every week, so that's a pretty good deal. And we will track all the people on a leaderboard, a free roll leaderboard. And so we will take the eight free rolls during the month. And we will create a score, and you can get on our website, uh, www.hogwildpoker.com or hogwildpokerleagues.com, either one. And and you can go see the formulas we use, but we basically uh, find the top 15 people of the month, and we give them each a $500 stake. Uh, and what that means is we have a $500 account for each one of them, and then they take the 500 dollars and go play local live tournaments and casinos, and we give them hats and shirts and everything to represent us as kind of our Hogwild Poker pros. And and so here's the deal: um, there are eight free rolls. We take your um, average of the eight games, but there are 12 more games that are voluntary. If you want to replace one of those games, you can play one of these extra games, and they'll cost you some hog bucks to play.
3: So you can get, if let's say in one of the tournaments I bust out really early, I can replace mm-hmm. that game with one that I've used Hog Bucks to play in as my That's representative correct.
2: game. Yeah, and, and we're not talking about a lot of money here to support our site. If you, uh, if you play an extra game, it's probably about a dollar's worth of Hog Bucks. Oh. So-, so it's not a big deal. Uh, most of our players will make a you know, $20 purchase every couple months.
3: How do you make a purchase on your site? Can you take credit cards, or do you have to send in a money order or do it some other way?
2: Oh, no, we take credit cards. Um, right up at the top is your hog buck balance. You just click on that, and you can uh, you can buy right there. We have all sorts of different ways to buy. Of course, the more you buy, the cheaper they get. And, uh, again, it all of the money side is a voluntary thing. And we've been able to um, buy this. This kind of this philosophy um, be well-supported by our players. And and everybody gets it. Uh, so come and have fun. We, we have a, a bunch of programs. We just created a World Series of Poker program in addition to the monthly staking. So, so we're giving away one $13,000 package to the World Series of Poker. And we're finding the best player on our site. The way we're doing that is through the same pre-roll system as before we're taking your top 12 games from now until may 31st a leaderboard that you can look at every day changes around every time there's a game and the person that wins that is going to wear Hogwild poker uh patch hat uh and represent us at the world series of Poker main event
3: wow and how many players are on your site now including all the ones that are in all the different leagues
2: Wow, Um, a bunch. (laughs) Well, a factor Uh, of 10. We're
3: talking about 100,000, 10,000, 1,000, 100, how many,
2: roughly? I'd say say closer to 20,000. Wow. Um, Yeah. How long have you been around? We've been around, well, we wrote for a couple years, and we've been around for about three years. So we're we're growing tremendously. We're doing this great program with the PPA right now. Um, uh, And any of your listeners can... uh, can listen to this uh, if you go join the ppa for fifteen dollars we give you twenty dollars with a hog bucks to play all these extra games so basically we're giving up our first purchase plus five dollars to the ppa uh, we really want them to continue to be supported and um and, you know and they're supporting us by telling their players about us so it, it works out for everybody so we're actually encouraging our players to make a purchase at the ppa it's um uh, $15, as you know, at the PPA gets you a one-year membership. So you get all their benefits, um, all the the stuff that they send you about the market, and you get uh, $20 with of Hog Bucks on our site to play extra games. Give yourself a better chance to win the uh, World Series of Poker ticket.
3: So what percentage would you say of all the 20,000-some-odd players on your site actually participate in the voluntary Hog Buck program that you have at one time or um,
2: another? Uh, well, we just started the staking. The staking thing and the World Series thing just started, um, well, really starts uh, on March 1st. We did a, um, a February version of it where we gave away four staking um, packages and we gave our internal people a chance to kind of get a jump on the uh, new people for the 12 best games for the World Series of poker. but of course there's three whole months left in that, plenty of, you know probably 60 games to play. Uh, but there's thousands, uh, thousands in that. I think I think on the leaderboard we put the top thousand players uh, because of course the top thousand players are always in the running for the top 15. You know, in the last couple games, if you do well in, like, the last three games, we're only averaging your top eight games for the monthly staking. And uh, we've seen people move hundreds of places by throwing in a couple good scores at the end of the month. So if, if you're coming to Hogwild Poker, don't feel like you have to start at the beginning of the month for the monthly staking because we're counting all those games from now until May 31st for the World Series of Poker ticket. And it's easy to figure out. All you need to do is go into our product, look on the left side for some blue buttons. You'll see one that says Get Staked. Click it, and you will go into two sections. One for the World Series of Poker, the leaderboard, and all the games can be found there. And another one for the $500 monthly staking is what we call it, the leaderboard, and all the games can be found in there. Great. It's very easy to follow. You can read all the... We're talking oh, to, sorry? I just
3: want our listeners to know that we're talking to Jeff Amrine, who is the, are you the CEO of Hogwild Poker? The director? I what am. do you call yourself? I'm the
2: CEO of Hogwild Poker.
3: And Hogwild Poker you can get by going to www.hogwildpoker.com. And all of this will become obvious once you go there. It sounds like a great, great site. I'm eager to try it out myself
2: please do I, I i think what the the viewers will find is listeners you know yeah yes <laughs> <That would be laughs> listeners, it? i think what the listeners will find is when they go to our tables the first time they are going to experience something completely different i know that's hard to imagine as i've played on all the poker sites and you have too uh but our poker table is made different uh we actually sit you at the long end of a table Um, it's a 3d perspective it's it it's not it's very easy on the eyes Uh, but you have the whole bottom of the screen to work with so we can spread your chips out we can spread your bets out we can spread all your stuff it's very easy but we have some things that most sites don't have if any sites have and one of the ones that i'll touch on is every time someone looks at their cards at our table their cards glow so you can tell when someone's peeking at their cards. Ah, so that we, we have little things like that. We have Great. The scoreboards. The scoreboards and access to all your friends playing at other tables are is right there on the table. You don't have to leave the table to go back to a, a lobby of any kind. So you can jump around right there at the table. And we also have side bets. So if you and some friends are together in there and you want to put up... Any amount of hog bucks, you can say, hey, put your money where your mouth is. I'm putting up a 1,000 hog bucks uh, on whoever makes it the furthest is one of our
3: so, – Yeah, uh, right, a last longer
2: bet. Yes. We also have uh, the Jeff, I'm going to have to cut
3: you off there because we are running out of time, but okay. I want to just again say this is hogwildpoker.com. I recommend all of our listeners to check in and see if they like it. It sounds like it's going to be great. I especially like your World Series of Poker package and the fact that you're offering real money to people who are able to win to play in their local casinos. Sounds like a great site, and I wish you well with it. Thank you so much for having me tonight. All right, listeners, that was Jeff Amrine, Hogwild Poker. Check it out. And then, you know what? You can let us know what you think, and we will put your comments on the air. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after a break.
0: Hey, Jersey, we want to hear from you. Send us an email at info at houseofcardsradio.com or leave a message at our hotline at 609-474-4627.
4: at Seneca Gaming and Entertainment live action poker endless chances to win guaranteed
3: prize pools
4: tournaments, daily events a
3: bad beat jackpot Omaha stud and everyone's favorite Texas hold'em and
4: thousands of dollars in guaranteed tournament action now that's a big deal exciting Vegas style poker just
3: off exit 20 on I-86 in Salamanca, New York across from McDonald's
4: online at SenecaPoker.com
0: Seneca Gaming and Entertainment your
4: new destination for a better game
0: Hey, this is Dave Weishuttle from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of March 19th, 2012. Well, despite spring-like temperatures and an extra day, gaming revenue at the 11 Atlantic City casinos fell 6% in February. Slot winnings were down 4% to $176.2 million, and table game revenues fell 10% to $66.5 million. One big reason for this was blackjack Wiz Don Johnson taking the Tropicana for $2 million. Johnson is the same guy who won a total of $17 million last year from the Tropicana, Caesars, and the Borgata. Another big winner last month was a woman identified only as Neva. She won the biggest jackpot ever taken at the Four Queens Casino in Las Vegas. While playing Mississippi Stud Poker, the Wyoming woman won over $112,000. Mississippi Stud, for those who don't know, is a game in which everyone receives two hole cards and three community cards. And finally, the Pocono Record reports on the biggest loser of the week. A Nork man, while playing at the Sands Casino in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, became so enraged after he lost a poker hand he thought he should have won that he began yelling and cursing at casino personnel. After security was called, he literally started kicking and screaming. The man was taken to the Northampton County Prison for resisting arrest, harassment, disorderly conduct, and public drunkenness. The guy sounds like a loser in so many ways. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow House of Cards on Twitter at hoc radio. Don't just listen to House of Cards. Now you can be part of the show with the House of Cards Hotline. Comments about the show? Poker questions? You just want us to know about great places to play or you just got bluffed out of a pot? Your messages may even be played on the air. Give us a call at 609-474-HOCR. That's 609-474-4627. The House of Cards hotline, available 24 hours a day. By leaving a message with House of Cards, you consent to having your message played on the air. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. You are more in need of a night in Atlantic City than any man I've ever
1: met. I'd say sit down at a table, go for dinner, see a show, take a walk on the boardwalk and smell the salt air. But if you're anything like me, nothing after sit down at a table is going to happen.
3: Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. And uh, I want to start this segment with a confession. And the confession is that I like to think of myself as a pretty darn smart guy who knows a lot about American history, especially about gambling history. But my confession is that my understanding of Atlantic City history was completely wrong. And we're going to have a guest to set it straight. But just so you understand, I grew up in New York. Uh, lived with my grandparents back in the 60s, And heard stories about Atlantic City as this lovely place where retirees gathered and they went to the beach and the boardwalk and there were shows and Miss America pageants. And that's what I thought Atlantic City was before the big bad casinos of the 70s came in. That it was a kind of wholesome American place that you'd go to with your parents or your grandparents and get saltwater taffy and go to the beach and walk on the boardwalk. And that was it until the casinos took over and then, in my grandparents' uh, words, everything went downhill from there. However... I was fortunate enough to get a book called Boardwalk Empire, and this evening we are fortunate enough to have the author, New Jersey historian Nelson Johnson, join us to set us all straight on the true history of Atlantic City. Nelson, are you there?
1: Yes, I am. I'll I'll do my best to set you straight. That that was an interesting introduction. I I don't think you're quite that uninformed, but... uh... I, I I really appreciate the the opportunity to be on your show.
3: Great. Well, now you are the author of Boardwalk Empire, and I will confess to our listeners that I have not read the whole book. I just read a couple of the chapters and then skimmed through the rest just so I could come up to speed quickly enough to ask at least marginally intelligent questions of you. So why don't you start by giving us an overview of what Atlantic City really was all about prior to the 1970s? Why don't you start at the turn of the well, century and... Let me, let, let
1: me. Yeah, one of the best overviews I can give you was from a gentleman that I interviewed years ago. He 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 came to Atlantic City at the age of ten in 1905, and I was pressing him for you know why was this town always so corrupt? Why was it you know always problems with the law? And his response was very interesting. He said, "If the people who came to town had wanted Bible readings, we'd have given them that, but no one ever asked." for Bible readings. They wanted booze, broads, and gambling, so that's what we gave him. And what this gentleman was explaining was that the visitor, because that's all Atlantic City lives for, is to provide entertainment to visitors, that the visitor sets the tone of what type of entertainment will be offered. And in the first half of the 20th century, the blue-collar worker coming out of Philadelphia New York, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, uh, they were looking for booze, broads, and gambling. They weren't looking for a wholesome resort. Uh, And Atlantic City flourished by being an unwholesome resort, uh, in fact, pro prohibition simply didn't happen in Atlantic City so you Uh, could go
3: so when my grandfather who grew up on the Lower East Side of Manhattan and was a poor boy but then started in sales clothing sales in the uh, late teens early 20s he was a haberdasher and he worked for Mo Levy's which was a big men's clothing store Sure, I I know
1: who
3: that is yeah yeah and he had he had money in his pocket and he was an adventurous young guy ended up starting his own haberdashery store but He would go and they'd go to the Catskills, but I believe he probably went to Atlantic City. And when he went to Atlantic City back in the 20s, he had, if he wanted, now my grandfather, of course, was a moral saint, at least in in our family history. That's what I was told. But if he wanted to, he could have had any of the speakeasies down there were
1: fully open, fully licensed yeah do, 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 During prohibition, Atlantic City ran a very wide open town and the, and the biggest reason for their ability to do that was the clout of their political boss, Nucky Johnson, who was wired very tight into the Republican organization, had lots of friends in the Democratic Party, uh, and Atlantic City was sort of treated as hands-off during Prohibition. Uh, and that's the thing that excited HBO, because they they saw this period during Prohibition where Atlantic City really flourished, and there was this political boss named Nucky. And so that that was the springboard for HBO's you know, interest you know, in the book.
3: So who did they have to do all the... the uh the cinematography and the pictures and stuff. Well, that,
1: the, the, the 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 person, the person who's the overall producer and, and the creative the director is Terrence Winter, who was the same gentleman who won a couple Emmys working with The Sopranos.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Uh,
1: and, and, he, and, and Martin Scorsese directed the pilot for the first show uh and steve buscemi's playing nucky and there's a lot of big a lot of big name performers in it and i've been to the set i've watched them film i see what they're doing and it's very exciting they've they've taken uh my book used it as an inspiration and they've created something that's going to be i think very entertaining very so
3: paint us a picture of walking on the boardwalk or in downtown atlantic city in the 1920s what what was it like? Paint us a word picture so that our listeners get a sense of what Atlantic City was really like back then.
1: Well, if you want to if, if, if think of Times Square by the sea... That, that's what it was. I mean, Atlantic City was a tryout town. It was a tryout town for entertainment. It was a tryout town for products. It was a tryout town for clothing. And so the leading manufacturers and, and the leading purveyors of various kinds of goods would bring their wares to the boardwalk because they knew there would be millions of people there during the summer. And that would be where they would they would expose their, their new lines of goods. For example, General Motors unveiled the Chevrolet there uh, in, at the end of the summer, beginning of the fall, every year for like 50 years. Uh, and the same was true of, of jewelry and watches and clothing, uh, different types of food, uh, many, many shows. Got a tryout in Atlantic City on the boardwalk in the summer before going to Broadway in the fall. so, so Atlantic City was, was a very busy place during the summers during the first half of the 20th century and it was sort of like a, like a miniature Times Square by the water
3: but it was that's not a full picture because you're also saying that there was prostitution and oh, gambling yeah, and alcohol yeah. well there wasn't that in Times Square at least not openly.
1: Re- re- remember remember this. If you, if you look at American history, you, you, you'll, you'll see that before there was prohibition, there was what they called bishop Laws, which said no booze on Sundays. Atlantic City's response to that was, what do you mean no booze on Sundays? That's our busiest day of the week. So Atlantic City was violating the Bishop's Laws consistently for like 30 years, and when prohibition came Intellectually, it was a pretty easy leap to go from violating it one day a week to seven days a week and, and that's exactly <laughs> what they did in terms of prostitution there were there were several districts and there were and there were many uh, brothels where prostitution was available and gambling gambling was very wide open when the FBI came to town at the end of the 1930s, to try to get Nucky Johnson, which they they eventually did do. Uh, when they came to town, they found the gambling operations wide open on Atlantic Avenue uh, and on the major thoroughfares.
3: So could you walk down the boardwalk and walk into a brothel, or did you have to walk off the boardwalk to the special district? You,
1: you would have to walk off the boardwalk to get to a brothel or a gambling room, but they were very easy to find.
3: And was there open alcohol on the boardwalk, or did you also have to go to some special areas?
1: There would be restaurants on the boardwalk and hotels on the boardwalk where you could get a drink very easily, yes, of course. So...
3: I'm curious about a number of things about this, uh, Nelson. We're talking to Nelson Johnson, who's a New Jersey historian who's written a great book that's going to be an HBO special called called Boardwalk Empire. Is that what, by the way, is that what the HBO special is called, too?
1: Oh, yeah. Starting August 16th, you won't be able to miss the advertising. They're going to do a national advertising campaign for Boardwalk Empire.
3: Oh, fantastic. Were the huge gamblers of the the turn-of-the-century Often down there, like uh, Vanderbilt or Diamond Jim Brady, or the people that were up in Saratoga.
1: Diamond, yeah, Diamond Jim Brady for sure. Uh, I, I uh, I won't say Vanderbilt, but Diamond Jim Brady for sure frequent Atlantic City regularly. Yeah. So, Uh, so, 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 so so did William Randolph Hearst. How long did this last? This last into the fifties. Yeah, the 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 the, the, the Atlantic, Atlantic City's peak period was probably like eighteen eighty five to nineteen sixty five, and then in the sixties, just things just got worse and worse. But 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 in terms of it being a a wide open town. Uh, that period, I'm going to say, the end of the 19th century, right on into the middle of gambling. Gambling sort of got shut down during World War II because the army came to town, used all the hotels as as places for housing troops and training them on the beach. So the and the, and the army was worried about their troops losing money. Uh, the brothels continued, but the but the gambling operations got shut down during the 40s. But then they reopened again in the 50s. But then the whole traffic to the town died down, and, and a lot of a lot of gambling interest went out to Vegas.
3: But I was in New York in the 60s, and in the early 60s, people could still, and I imagine a lot of people Do. did, go Never. down to Atlantic City to gamble.
1: No, no. If you if you if you wanted to gamble in Atlantic City in the fifties, you were then going to do it in places like the Five Hundred Club, like like the uh, Penn Atlantic Hotel. There were there were there were bars and rooms where they had gambling rooms in the back, and there would be mini casinos. I'm saying during during the tens, the twenties, the thirties, there were there were large properties that did gambling, and then when World War Two came, they got shut down in F, in, indefinitely, and that's what to do.
3: I see. So. Before World War II, large Saratoga-like casinos that pe- operated pretty much in the open, big, grand yes. places, and then after World War II, yes, there was still some gambling, but it was more backroom, underground, smaller, more um, more hidden.
1: You you summarized it very well. That, that was the case, correct.
3: Oh, that, that's very interesting. I didn't know anything about that. But you still yeah. did have it until it pretty much died completely by the late 60s, and any gambling action then had all pretty much transferred to either the Bahamas, I guess, or uh, Las yeah, it was, Vegas.
1: It was bought. It, it, but, but by, the, by the middle of the 60s, gambling in Atlantic City was basically done.
3: So what about when people talk about the uh, what I guess is really the rebirth of gambling in the 70s when they uh, legalized casino gambling in Atlantic City and they started building the big hotels, and people say that that really destroyed or kept Depressed, That depressed part of Atlantic City that's near the boardwalk but not on the boardwalk. In fact, when gambling existed in the 30s and before in a big wide open way, was Atlantic City proper, that part away from the boardwalk? very depressed, or was it a relatively vibrant place, from your research?
1: It it was a vibrant place, except for portions of what we call the north side. Uh, The the north side was was the section of the community where African Americans were consigned to live. You had some really excellent neighborhoods in that portion, then you had some really beat neighborhoods in that portion. Uh, But the the rest of the town, uh, yes, the the housing and the businesses and the rest of the town were very prosperous, right on up into the 60s and then and then like i said the whole economy collapsed in the 60s
3: um i remember reading parts of your book where you talked about the labor force you talked about the african-americans who worked there and that they were largely uh the people that worked in the casinos and worked in the industry tell us a little bit more about that because that's a chapter of african-american history that i didn't know anything about
1: yeah, it, 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 Atlantic City could not have been built and would not have survived without African-American labor, uh, and the reason for that is Philadelphia was was paying very good wages to white workers, and if you lived in southern New Jersey, uh, if you weren't a farmer or if you didn't have a profession, uh, if you didn't have your own business, then you could go, go become a day laborer in Philadelphia and make a lot of money, and so if the hotels were to flourish, they needed affordable labor, and how they got that was by recruiting. Freed slaves and the children of freed slaves out of the upper South and actually, you know, sent pamphlets and recruiters and, and brought people to Atlantic City to run the hotels from from 1880 to 1930. More than 95 percent of the hotel workforce was African American, so they, they built the town. There's no getting around it.
3: And when when did the black workforce and really, I guess, the large black population? migrate out of Atlantic City, because if you go there today, at least visibly, it's not a place that you'd think of as being particularly dominated by that ethnic group. So there must have been some shift, or else maybe it is, and I just don't see it.
1: Well, well, well it, 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 it's it's... The majority of the population in Atlantic City today is African-American, but the population itself has has declined substantially. The, the year-round population of Atlantic City is probably ha- <clears throat> half today of what it was 60 years ago.
3: Wow. So,
1: oh, yeah. What? That's correct. So at its
3: peak, what was the population?
1: The population at its peak was around 70,000, and today the population is a little over 35,000. You, you know, year-round people who live there. Now, hundreds of thousands of people come in each day, but when you talk about year-round population, you know, who, who's living there? You know, on the January second, you know, who's there every night? It, it's a, it's a, it's a small population.
3: Was now I also know of Atlantic City as a heavily organized union-organized place from the uh, '60s on, or at least from when the casinos started there. On the construction is organized. Uh, public employees are. Was it unionized? Were these black workers unionized at all? Or was that absolutely not going on back in before no, the they 1950s? No, not.
1: That that absolutely was not going on. Uh, if, if hotel workers back in those days tried to unionize, they'd be fired and replaced with somebody else. Uh, y- unions didn't get any traction in Atlantic City in a big way uh, until the 60s.
3: Interesting. Now, another thing that interests me as an historian, as an amateur historian, is that I know that. The politics of New Jersey as a state, at least my impression of them, back in the teens and before, in the 20s, was that it was a relatively conservative state legislature. I know Woodrow Wilson came from there before he was president. Mm -hmm. What relationship was there with the state politicians, especially with Wilson and the local... the guy that you mentioned Nucky Johnson, what was well, their relationship like
1: no it was bad keep in keep in mind Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson was only. Uh, governor for two years, ah, okay. because when he ran for governor, he had a sight set on the White House. But in the two years that he was there, he did everything he could to make trouble for Atlantic City. Uh, Nucky's, Nucky's predecessor, a guy named the Commodore Lewis, the Commodore Coonley, he went to jail because of an investigation that that, uh, that Wilson had had launched. Uh, so Nucky was only too happy to see Wilson go off to Washington.
3: Well, did the legislature and the the, uh, governor's office kind of accept this as an exception to the general moral climate of the state? Or was there money paid to state legislators to leave them alone? I I know that, for example, in the 70s, when casino gambling was legalized, it was legalized the way a red light district is legalized. It was legalized only in Atlantic City, like they got an island of vice. And I'm wondering if that was the case earlier, or if it was just, uh, I wonder what the relationship was like.
1: Well, the the relationship was sort of this way. Nucky Johnson had an incredible fortune of cash coming into his hands each year. So he threw parties, not only in Atlantic City, but he threw parties in New York. He threw parties in Philadelphia. He wooed powerful people. It was nothing for him to take take a train load full of people. And by train load, I mean, you know, a couple hundred people to go see a World Series game, uh, to, to, to go see a Broadway play. Uh, and he would, in, he would invite people of power, people of influence, and he would entertain them. His income, the FBI estimates that his income throughout the 20s and the 30s was in excess of $600,000 a year in wow. cash, untaxed. So think of what that means in today's dollars, and the type of people that you'd be able to influence with that kind of money, and by you know by throwing them parties. Because Atlantic City was a great party town. He he would have his limousine sent to pick people up and bring them to town to party.
3: Wow, that's interesting. He
1: was, he, he was an enormous party person. I, Johnson was,
3: and you're not talking about a political party you're talking no, about no, his? He, he,
1: he was he was nominally he was nominally a Republican, but the the only philosophy he had, he had was to keep the town prosperous and to make all the money off it that he could
3: well here's something that interests me we had on as a guest a while back Stephen Fisher who wrote a book about uh, when the mob ruled Vegas and how the the uh, mafia really controlled that city for many many years and how they did it and how they got money in and money out with the skim and everything what's interesting to me is. I haven't heard you mention organized crime in Atlantic City. and how? Tell us about the relationship of organized crime to Atlantic City and either how it was kept out or how it existed.
1: It's an important one because in May of 1929, when Lucky Luciano was having his problems in New York and realized that he needed to form alliances with other people so that he, would, he could remain strong, he consulted with Meyer Lansky, And Meyer Lansky said, yeah, we should have a meeting, we should invite these people, and we should talk about this, and we should try to build alliances. But the one thing they didn't really debate was where will we have the meeting? And the meeting was held in Atlantic City in May of 1929, and that's where organized crime was born. And the reason they went to Atlantic City is because Nucky Johnson ran the kind of town they all wished that they could run, wide open free from being hassled by by law enforcement and so he was he and Atlantic City were sort of hands-off and you didn't have organized crime meaning the the serious Italian Mafia organized crime didn't come to town until the 60s and the 70s with the Angelo Bruno family out of Philadelphia. Prior to that, Atlantic City really was. It's a little world of its own, and Nucky Johnson was respected by the mafia. He was respected by the politicians, and, and he wore two hats the way nobody I know of in the 20th century was able to wear two hats.
3: I see. So he was strong enough and respected enough to keep the mob from taking over Atlantic City because he essentially functioned as the mob... Of Atlantic City. Is that right? You are,
1: you are correct. You stated that very well. You
3: okay. correct. So, I mean, power abhors of a vacuum, and he just ensured that there was no vacuum there. What about after he died or after he left? What happened in – I mean, when did he leave?
1: Well, he, he went to jail in 1941, and, and, and not long after that, the Army came to town – uh, his, the, the boss who replaced him was a guy named Hap Farley, and Hap Farley had learned from his two predecessors, both of whom ended their careers in jail, and Farley was determined that he wasn't going to go to jail. So Farley delegated some of the really corrupt practices to, to two gentlemen, one by the name of Herman Stumpy Orman, and the other one, uh, James Boydie Boyd. Uh, he, they, they were his two operatives that he really relied upon, and Farley went on to become one of the most powerful people to serve in trenton he was the state senator he was responsible for a great deal of legislation and and i have interviewed governor's chief of staff who said that when they met with the president of the senate hap farley his agenda came first and if they had enough time they got the governor's agenda or else the governor's agenda would wait till the next meeting he really farley really was a very powerful man in trenton for a long time but none of the flamboyance of nucky johnson and while he was corrupt he kept himself insulated by surrounding himself with the right people.
3: Fascinating. Well, I'm eager to see the HBO special, and I'm eager to go back to your book and read it more thoroughly. We're talking to New Jersey historian Nelson Johnson, who has written a great book about the history of Atlantic City, the underground history, so to speak, called Boardwalk Empire, soon to be a series on HBO. I have one last question for you. we got a couple of minutes left. Sure. Can you tell us anything about whether poker... As such existed, whether poker was played, and if there's are any interesting stories about poker, because our listeners are all poker players.
1: Well, the the answer is that there were there were lots of card games in those days, and I and I think poker probably was played during the end of the period, but you know the, the big thing was the big wheel and, and roulette. And there was crap games. Uh, car, there were card games, uh, but they weren't as proper as the horse games too. There's a lot of illegal illegal betting on on horse races all across the country. Uh, I can't I can't tell you, that, you know, that that there was a lot of poker. Did they
3: have, have a wire? That. Was there a ho- a wire? Oh service? yeah, there was
1: a wire. Yeah, definitely. And, and the, 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 there was a wire that came out of Philadelphia, uh, and they would have horse races, and 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 there would be big gambling on horses uh, right there in, in in the horse rooms, and some of those. Are Right on Atlantic Avenue, that was wide open.
3: Did people do sports betting? Did they bet uh, yeah, baseball there games?
1: Was, there, there, was, there was sports betting on there was sports betting on baseball and college football. I mean, there really wasn't much pro football to speak of, but college college football was real popular, and so and so was baseball.
3: Fascinating. Well, i I'm, I'm very glad that you came on as a guest. This is a whole part of American history that I didn't know anything about. Shame on me, but now I do, and now my interest is really peaked and i'm eager to eager to go back and read your book more thoroughly thank you for coming on nelson and uh You're let welcome. us know thank when you write a sequel thank you for the opportunity all right that was nelson johnson new jersey historian author of boardwalk empire we'll be back after a brief commercial break
4: Just use offer code B-A-B-E-16 at adamandeve.com.
0: You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards radio network. Check us out at houseofcardsradio.com. You're listening to the House of Cards. Join us online at houseofcardsradio.com.
1: I can't believe I'm in a hand with Tex Brunson. The name's Doyle, not Tex Doyle. What? Seriously, Doyle? Yes, serious.
0: Well, that's a tell. That's probably a tell. No,
2: it's a tell when you don't know who Doyle Brunson is.
3: Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards, and we're joined in studio, as we are each week, for the mailbag segment by my producer, Dave Weishaddle. Dave,
0: what's cooking? Well, Ashley, every other week, it sounds like, we've had guests talking about this intrastate legislation on uh, online gambling. I think we're getting a lot of questions about that, and basically, as everyone's asking your opinion, is this a practical approach by states if they want online gambling?
3: Boy, am I out of my depths there! I mean, I I'm eager to learn more, and I'm happy to have the guys on the show to talk about it. And um, I think it makes sense theoretically as a step towards undoing the UIGEA, the Unlawful Gambling uh, Internet Gambling Enforcement Act. And I understand what that is, and I understand the concept of intrastate gambling. On the Internet, but I have no idea
0: if it will work as people are saying. I just can't picture it. I mean, is it just a big room with computers that you have to travel to to play? If you're a resident of Pennsylvania and New Jersey passes hey, this law... Hey, it's not
3: that at all. No, it's, it's not, it not a it big room. Crazy. Well, I, if you're in Pennsylvania... No, you and, get to play on the Internet from your home by logging into
0: a site in your state. But, but you have to be in that state. I don't know how the Internet can stop at boundaries of states i mean i think that's what everyone's problem is if, if you're a resident of pennsylvania and new jersey has a law where only residents can play right. online can you as a resident of pennsylvania travel over the delaware river and sit in someone's home and play oh online? i have no kind of oh, i see see that's no, what i'm talking about this i have no idea
3: i mean it's like if there are sites you can only visit if you're over 18 well how do they really know Exactly.
0: It's so practically speaking this is is this crazy? Is this pie in the sky kind of dreaming? You're asking me technically whether they can actually... If well, I, you know, your personal opinion. Do you think My this is... personal
3: opinion, as opposed to my opinion as a bear, yeah, as, as a, you're, bear, you're, as a, as a, as a piece unpersonal of furniture, opinion. my, unpersonal, my I'm impersonal, opinion. impersonal opinion. <laughs> Impersonally, as a fish, I would say um, it's definitely technically possible, absolutely, to do. I have no clue whether they have a way of putting up a firewall in between people that live in colorado and people that live in california to keep those non-california i have no clue if there are ways of doing it if you register and if some agency inspects to see that you i don't know and not only do i not know
0: i don't really care care. i don't
3: really care
0: well that's all we have time for okay that's it um (laughs) listeners next question is what's your favorite color (laughs)
3: Oh, okay. My favorite color is orange Orange. and uh, certainly green for money. But listeners, come back next week. We're going to uh, be back then. Until then, good luck and good night.